You know a movie I just saw again the other day, which is fucking like mind blowing, and I haven't seen it since it came out. It's Munich. Oh, yeah. Munich! Munich fucking rules. Munich is awesome. That movie was Eric Bana kicking fucking ass. Dude, every movie with Jews, we're the ones getting killed. Munich flips it on its ear. Dude, we're captain mother. Not only killing, but fucking like taking names. If any of us get late tonight, it's because of Eric Bana. I agree with that. I agree. Dry martini. Oui, monsieur. Wait. Three measures of Gordon's, one of vodka, half a measure of quinoa lily. Shake it over rice, and then add a thin slice of lemon peel. Yes, sir. You got a hot take? I got a hot take. Okay, cool. Good, good, good. Um, Don't do it now. Okay. I'm so ready. We've got so much stuff to get through before we can even talk about it. No, I'm just going to give you a sweet hot take straight up. No. Yeah. Isaac, that's too revolutionary. I know, but I really want to say it. Okay, hang on. (laughs) Okay. And welcome back to Hot Takes with Sam and Isaac. Take it away, Isaac. If you're going to make a historically accurate film, uh-huh. it's still possible to do that without being boring. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay, yeah. Well, history isn't boring. No, it's not. Bits of it are. You can make... Like 97. You can make films about history yeah. and historic events, but still make them exciting. Because historic events are quite exciting. Is Munich more boring than you remember it being? It is, yes. <laughs> Has it gotten elevated in your mind? Uh-huh. Well, we just finished watching Munich. We did. And now we're going to talk about it for a while. Yay. You seen any good movies lately? I don't know. Did I? What have you watched? You fill me in first while I have a think. I saw Expendables 3. Okay. Fine. It's, it's much better than the other two. <laughs> yeah, we get the experimental movies go embarrassing, shameful trash, uh, no, embarrassing, incompetent trash, embarrassing, competent trash, and then the third one is just competent trash. <laughs> I was going to say good at the beginning with the Wesley Snipes introduction, mm-hmm. but then he fires his entire team, and we have to fuck around finding some more well-known. MMA fighters that we can hire to yes. be in our movie again. A, a youthful group of yeah. newcomers to the action genre. That I do not care about. No. <laughs> so that makes it not good. But but you can see where it's a much better film than the others. Because yeah. somebody else wrote it and directed it and they're just in it. And Sylvester Stallone acknowledges that he's old and <laughs> is aging. Yeah, it's good. And I think... I find Mel Gibson a genuinely terrifying person. Like, as a person, mm. I think I find him quite unsettling. Well, that's good that he's a villain then. Yeah, and I think that's just sort of <laughs> become harder for him to contain as he's gotten older, as all of his views have become more well-known. <laughs> and now, like, you hear him talk. I saw him on one of those round tables. You know they do, like, the Emmy nomination the round tables? round tables yeah. where it's, like, other actors, actors and Actors or directors or whatever, yeah. And he is on that. And he, like, he is just 
it looks like he's in a manic episode. He's got the he's got the crazy beard, and he's just like talking so energetically about things that aren't that interesting or insightful, but like like cutting people off. I'm like, my God, you are lucky to be in there, Mel. You're very very lucky that people have somehow managed to look past in some contexts some of the shit you've said. <laughs> Yeah. It's like he's trying to like, no, don't worry about that now. Just listen to what I'm saying now. Oh. Um I watched Black Klansman. Oh yeah. Loved it. Really? It's good. I'm on the record not liking Black Klansman. I thought it was good. I'm loving me some young Denzel. Oh, I love every actor in it is brilliant. I, I love think, that dude. I think young Denzel mm-hmm. is gonna perform be what Denzel was to all of us, but now. Yes, which you is exactly what, I mean? what you'd want from a young Denzel. Exactly. And he sound, if you close your eyes, it's like, ooh, mm. that's exactly what Denzel sounds Weirdly like. Weirdly, though, I still feel like John Boyega is more like a young Denzel than the actual so I think young Denzel. You, John Boyega could play a young Denzel. Yeah. Like, or play a younger version of a character that Denzel is beloved for playing. Yeah. Like, yeah, John um, Boyega. What's his, de- Detective What's-His-Name from um, Training Day? If John Boyega mm. just played him on his training day? Yeah. Oh, oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. That'd be kind of badass. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be cool. It's called induction. No, it's called training day. And it's just health and safety training and stuff and <laughs> like where the fire exits are and But um Denzel Offspring. I'm so excited for Tenet. Yeah. So Because he's he's the young Denzel that's giving us it's taking the Denzelness to new and interesting places. Whereas exactly. John Boyega would be the ideal person to retread the already well-articulated areas that Denzel has been through, Indeed. which I also want. Oh, des- yes, definitely. Pretty sure we talked about this on I our first John episode Boyega. ever. I just want more John Boyega. Yeah, he's, he's really fun. He's up, he's up, and he yells he's up there so on much my, better than a lot of people. He's up there on my next Bond list. He will, I mm. mean, we'll get to that on our next Bond episode. but We will. That, that could be Bond news. Bond news. Yeah. We like people for Bond. <laughs> In, and now... For a little bit of personal Bond news. <laughs> Just a little bit of Bond news in my own life. Um, watched The Old Guard. Oh, so did I, so did I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, I think we've talked you about it. You told me about it. Yeah, what what do you think? So good. It's fun. For what, it, like, considering what the pitch is <laughs> of Charlize Theron leads a team of immortal mercenaries, mm-hmm. that should be awful. It sounds like it could be super corny and shit. But it is, like, legitimately, like, like almost a great film, in my opinion. I th- I feel as though it could be better, but I think be it does. But it's a lot of good stuff. I find the casting choices fascinating. I love the casting. Choices. Yeah, they just look like a gang of graphic designers. They do. They well, I like that these people who've come through centuries are so modern. Yeah, they've just kept up with the times. Yeah. Which I guess you would, because if you're always there, well, but you'd you're learn always how to young. do that really, really easily. Yeah, because we stay a certain way as we get older, because our brain is getting older and we can't keep up, <laughs> and we hang around with people our age. But if you're always thirty, then and you're always around other thirty-year-olds, well, you just adapt. You would, yeah. You'd bl- you'd see that. I think they've they've developed the skill of blending in really easily. Yeah, mm. and f- it's just it's finding that. I think why it works is it has found that therapeutic bandwidth of how much superpower to give someone, where the fact that they can heal, but they are otherwise just a person mm. with human strength and speed or whatever, and if they get punched in the face, they fall over. That's uh, that's a really sort of exciting place to have the characters. I also like the 
ability to expand your film into sequels is done quite well, whereas it doesn't force it upon you. Like her character backstory being ambiguous is great for this film, mm. but it also leaves op- options open for further stories and yeah. finding out new information about a character without changing what you know about the character. Yeah. Well, I didn't. I didn't like the final shots where it really sets up a sequel. Yeah, like, you didn't need to do that, guys. Like you, you did that enough with your your foreshadowing of it. You didn't yeah. need to show it. Yeah, and it's got all its it's it's got great action and whiz bangs and great fighting, but it foregrounds the humanity of the characters and the human story quite well. Mm. And so that's so that really carries the film. It's brilliant performances. What else have I watched? Ch- watch- Chai Wattel. Always, always good to get some more. Is that how you say it? Chai Weetle? That cool guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to call him Mordo. Yep. Mm. Or I'm excited for more. Mordo. M- Mordo. Yeah. I want Mordo. Or <laughs> I forget the name of the main character in 12 Years a Slave, but that guy. That guy. That's probably what he preferred to be known from. But Mordo. Good villain. Classic villain. I'll also give a shout out to The Endless. As in, it's a title of a film you've seen? It is. Okay. 2017, I think. Really low budget. Uh, death. It's it's like, it's a UFO death cult that uh, these brothers escaped from when they were really young. And then they decide to go back and visit. And it's slow, om- slow burn, ominous, intense, really clever the way it makes things scary with its low budget. And there are a few moments in it that really stuck with me. Is it on a streaming platform that our wonderful viewers viewers can watch? I found it on Google Play okay. for $2. Nice. So that's, shout out to that film. That's pretty that nifty. One, the yeah. Endless. Yeah, and the two main characters, they wrote and directed it, which you think would be a red flag, but they totally pull it off. Quite often that is a red flag. Mm. Writer, director, starring. Yeah. But it's just an example of if you have written a really good script and you just pace it well, money isn't that important. Like there's a couple of there's a couple of CGI effects that are obviously not that good, but you see right past that because you're just invested in the story. Yeah. Like you don't care. And I think it's an example of because they knew they were writing for themselves, they've been able to st- structure the like they're perfect obviously for the characters so you can write a character for things that you know you're going to be able to do acting wise like imagine if you're writing a script if you don't know who's going to play the characters there's a little bit of a disconnect there but when you know exactly who and how it's going to be performed i think that's really worked in this film's favor i've never heard of it just stumbled across it yeah i've not heard of it too but it sounds definitely up 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 an alley yeah up an alley that i would feel comfortable being Within. Up up it with it. Yeah, you know? Yeah. You would accompany it up that alley. <laughs> I would I wouldn't to feel buy. I wouldn't feel strange like following up following that down an alley, like yeah. You know? You'd be in that alley and be like, hmm. I want to spend thirty minutes well, ninety could, minutes here. I could and... breathe heavily from the end of this alley while they're at the <laughs> other end, you know? I could just be like okay. kneeling behind a dumpster, just be like, Hey come sit next to me. Is... in my alleyway. It's right up my alley. In that phrase, do you do you own the alley, or is it the, just an alley you live in? Well, I think like it's someone without stable I think accommodation. The phrase is in derogatory, I have no idea where the phrase it's comes like from. Up my alley. Yeah, that's right up my alley. Are you a property owner? 
Are you the landlord of all this? Because you'd have to have the buildings on both sides of the alley because the alley is like... Well, no, you just own the alley. Just a gap. Once you step through a doorway, you're not in the alley anymore. So okay. someone own, you can own the front. You like who does own alleys? Where there's are they just the city? I think I think um, really confident homeless people claim alleyways. Okay, like this is my alley. Yeah. That's right up my alley. Well, like, I can imagine coming up coming into an alley and someone who lives there being like, "Yo, this is my alley." I'm like, yeah. I know what you mean, but it's not like you have paperwork. No, but the, like they've staked a claim. They've urinated over most of this alley. They've but, urinated over more of the alleyway than you have. But see, I don't know why they would be so aggressive. Because I'm like, hey, man, I'm up your alley. That means you should like me, according to <laughs> the famous phrase. According. Well. So you're not making any sense, bro. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to Exceptional Thieves. This is a podcast where Isaac and I review and rewrite movies. I'm Sam. I'm Isaac. And this is episode I don't even know what. It doesn't really matter at this point. If you're listening, you 18 know. or 19? If you're listening, you've just clicked on it. It has a title. Yeah. This this is the <laughs> latest episode of Craigslist, where we are watching the entire filmography of Daniel Craig for no reason. But and to take our minds off coronavirus. Sorry, what? I don't know. Exactly. Of what? I can't. I don't know. So, welcome back, Craig Keisterdors. Um, If you have been enjoying the show, you can connect with us on Twitter at ExceptionalPod. Or exceptional thieves on Instagram, and you can get our but all our bonus episodes on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash exceptional thieves. Um, and, th- and they're building up again. We um, recorded a great episode just the other day on, yeah, several shorter short films. Short, short we'll call them short films. Great. There is an episode of Tales from the Crypt Tales, on there, yeah, HBO's Tales from the Crypt, but we're gonna choose to ignore that episode and well, the short films were great don't give it away here isaac if they want to know what we thought about those short films, patreon it yes is that it yeah okay um <laughs> also we do also have a letterboxed account what for anyone who's on letterboxed and i've been writing reviews on there that sort of reflect our opinions of the movies if you don't have two hours to listen to an episode okay. the only reason i bring this up now is because i recently discovered the lists function on letterboxed where you can make a list of films, and you can make it a ranked list. Ooh. So if you want to keep up with our current ranking of all of Daniel Craig's movies, you can go to our account, which is Exceptional Pod, and go to our list, which, which when we finish, will be the definitive ranking of all of Daniel Craig's performances. The only one of its kind on Letterboxd. You know, I'm really starting to regret those Movie World annual passes we bought at the start of the year. You want to go? What are you doing tomorrow? Is it open? I don't know. It may have reclosed again because yeah. of the second wave. I got a te- I got a notification saying like we're gonna open, and then I got no more texts. No, I'm pretty sure my mate Josh went back to work. Oh, okay. On the just, stunt show. I think they were at like fifty percent capacity for a while there. I don't want to go on a socially distanced roller coaster. I would rather sit away from people. I want to do it or not do it. I think they are open yep. currently at 50% capacity. And personally, I would much rather go on a roller coaster with just you next to me and not like two other complete strangers who, as you'll recall from the last time we went to Movie World, were clearly high at the time. I like the two that we sat next to on the roller coaster. It was a couple. And as as just before we go, the girl just says, you know, if I am pregnant, <laughs> we definitely shouldn't be on this. <laughs> <laughs> it was great to hear just the end of that conversation. It was, you know, 
uncomfortably friendly as well. Like in the in yeah. the not non-existent line when we had to wait like two minutes. They were engaging with us a lot more than I like to be engaged in queues with complete strangers. Yeah, yeah. In the rain at a theme park. God, that was a depressing day in a way. <laughs> I had a fun time, but it oh, was, it was, fun, it but was weird. There's something about being at a theme park in the rain. Torrential rain. <laughs> Watching. It, I don't know if. I don't the know start if, of the day wasn't too bad. I don't know if anyone else has ever seen a stunt car show in the rain. Where all but, of the actors have umbrellas. <laughs> yeah, but I'll, ta- I'll put it this way. The cars don't go that fast. <laughs> And at the beginning, they have to say, just so everyone knows, we're not going to be going that fast, <laughs> even though that is the entirety of what you're here to see. So we'll just really try to emphasize the narrative of this whole stunt show, which is surprisingly in-depth. And also quite boring yeah. when you think of stunt shows. Anyway, shout out to Movie World and your mate Josh, who works full-time on that stunt show. Now, a little, <laughs> uh, little bit of Bond news. Okay, we've got Bond news. Well, it's not really. Scraping the bottom of the barrel for Bond news in a way. Um, first piece of Bond news is Bond still being released. Has not been delayed yet. Oh, wow. So, Consistency is great. Yeah, they're, re- they're really following through. but um, They'll leave that delay as a nice surprise when we, yeah. when we get it. They'll be like, oh, just so you know, you got an extra two months to finish your podcast, guys. Yeah, like directly but, to no, us. No, but that yeah, yeah. Daniel's got this, got this down. We'll just get, we'll get an, we'll get a message on the Patreon account. Yeah, from Daniel or so maybe guys, Rachel. Guys, I got this handled. Guys, I heard you were struggling, <laughs> so I've pulled some strings. It's January now. When all the good films come out. <laughs> um, well, when films will start coming out again? Hopefully, it'll be quite irritating if they delay it much closer to the date, because then we will have been like pu- rushing pushing to, to get this thing done. <laughs> oh, you sons of bitches! But no. Um, we can never hate you, Daniel. Mm. You release your film whenever you want, and we will be there to watch it. Daniel, well, no, the yes thing. If I knew it was Daniel's decision, then obviously I'd respect it regardless because he's Britain's best actor, Daniel Craig. He is Britain's best actor. But if it's a studio decision, Ugh. then you know, getting in the way of our relationship with Daniel Craig in some way, well, then I'll then I'll nothing be but a hindrance, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's possible that we are being hidden from Daniel. By the studio? By, his yeah, by the yes-men. Mm. Because they're they don't all, want... They know that we exist. They don't want us to get in his head. And they're just hiding us from him until after the film comes out when they mm. can tell him yeah. all the great things we've said about him. This is probably the most stalkerish we've sounded. I think this is this is good. This is, this is the most insane uh, I stuff we've, we've come as, up with. As we go, we can dial this up a little bit. Yeah. The further we get into this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think at least a half-hour discussion about the blue of his eyes would be quite fun at some stage. Well, earlier today we were watching. Um, well, we were watching one of those short films. The other day. Yeah. So the other day, we were, why do you have to maintain that fiction? Because <laughs> it's fun. So the other day we were watching one of those short films, and we were there was a close-up, and we were trying to figure out if it was of Daniel Craig, and we did say no, that isn't what his eyelashes look like. But the nose was almost a giveaway. It was a very, wasn't very, enough very close nose, nose, but we didn't get like enough of it. Yeah, but then those eyes opened and ah. Oh. As soon as that blue comes through. End of the mystery. It's like a light turns on. Yeah. You know, his beams. In our hearts. Once his peep is open. Oh, man. He would hate this. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> I'm sorry, Daniel. Sorry, Daniel. It's, but also, it's just, we're just doing it as a joke. Also, I'm not sorry. Also, if you want to hang out, 
it won't be like this. It'll be we normal. won't talk about your eyes directly we'll to normal. your face. We'll just talk about politics and stuff. We'll just wait until either the phone hangs up or you leave the room, and then we'll be like, <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> those eyes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it bore into my just soul. Straight through you. Um, <laughs> what did we watch today, Sam? Well, no, hang on. Bond News. Okay, Bond is, News. Sorry, it's not really Bond, but I guess touching on the studios, there is rumour, potentially verified rumour, that... Uh, you know Anna, Anna de Armas is that how you'd say it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So She's one cool. of the She's new cool. uh, act- actresses in the new Bond film with Ben Affleck. Oh, and the rumor is that Ben Affleck is not allowed to attend the No Time to Die premiere. Wait, is are they are they dating? They're dating. Okay, so and the she's story dating is, Ben Affleck, but yeah. he's not allowed to come to watch her film. Apparently, because they are well known for their PDAs. Okay, and they don't want anything to be distracting from the film and Daniel Craig on the red carpet. See, I don't understand how something could distract from Daniel Craig on the red carpet. Well, you just look. Well, exactly. I mean, anyone with half a brain exactly isn't going to be paying attention to what Let's Affleck it. and De Armas are doing when you've got those eyes. Ninety-five percent of the people who will a watch the red carpet or yeah. b be there are Craig Easterdoors anyway. True, true. You're it's there for be... Bond or Craig. You're not there to watch some random floozy who's in this film make out with Ben Affleck. Hey, hey, hey. She's probably a very talented she actor. She is a very talented actress. I've seen many of her films, which is great. <laughs> but for the purposes of this conversation, random floozy. <laughs> Making out with Ben Affleck, of all people, history's least deserving Oscar winner. If, if, he, if they come for the Australian premiere, could we go? Probably. COVID it's depending. either in Sydney on, or on the Gold Coast. It'll probably be on the Gold Coast if they have an Australian premiere. Yeah, because we're the only state that isn't full Well, we're not COVID. the only state, but we're the biggest state. We're the only that state that hasn't... The, the only one that matters. We're the only state that's going to get a Bond premiere. <laughs> Australian yeah, premiere. Northern Territory. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Daniel Craig flew into Perth today for the premiere of his new Bond film. Imagine saying Perth oh. on like a global news channel. Perth. In the same sentence as Daniel Craig. They'd pronounce it Perth. Yes. Welcome to Perth, everybody. Perth, with like a, an extra <laughs> E at the end of it. Perth. Um, yeah, so... Sorry, Perth. I mean, I know this is, means nothing, but I just thought I'd put it in there as a little bit of Bond news. I enjoyed our discussion about it. Yeah. Um, Imagine Ben Affleck is the next Bond. I mean, the thing is, Ugh. the problem with Daniel Craig is, and I apologise for that phrasing already, because obviously there isn't one, but the problem <laughs> with Daniel Craig is he's so cool and dignified that the paparazzi... The paps aren't going to get any stories out of him at the premiere because he's going to be standing there looking cool. Yeah. So they're going to need a story. Rachel's so there. They're just chilling. Hot mess. Ben Affleck is there, <laughs> desperately trying to whip up some pleasure in this harrowing life of his with his new partner. Then mm. that's you know, that's that's going to draw their eyes. See, and we don't want anyone not focusing on Britain's best actor Daniel Craig. Exactly. I got my time for Ben Affleck when he is Batman, because Batfleck. Was a nice, nice it's change not a bad of performance. Pace. Argo is one of my favorite films ever. Argo's a great. Film. I don't know why he can't do that again. Why can't he just do that? That sort of shit. Yeah, it's really. It's. I like yeah. the accountant actually. That wasn't bad. Oh no. Mostly for Anna Kendrick though. She's what awesome. does that film even think it's doing? It's an accountant. He counts. So we're talking about Munich. Ah. Oh. A two thousand and five 
film directed by Mr. Spielberg the so year Steven. before Casino Royale came out. Really? Wasn't that 2006? Yeah, it was. Yeah, we are... We've we're got, so close. We've got several films to go still. But we're so close. But we are very, very close. My God. To close Bond. to number one on the list and we don't even know it yet. I mean, who knows what number one on the list is going to be? We don't even know yet. But uh, <laughs> check out Letterboxd if you want to find out. If you're listening to this in the future. Uh, so, historical action thriller. Okay, we've had my hot take already. Which is that it's boring. Was that you have the <laughs> ability is, to make this film, which is about real life events. Yeah, I, and like I like it. It feels weird to say you could make this more entertaining. I think the just from a filmmaking standpoint, it's one of the most interesting aspects of this movie is how and to what degree and how appropriate it is to try to make this story an entertaining story. You know. Yeah. Because it's about something so awful that happened and then awful responses to it in a, you know, multi-generational cycle of awful things and very complex things happening. (laughs) Yes. There's certain ways in which this story lends itself, like, remarkably to being an entertaining film. And I I think, yeah, it definitely could have been sharpened up. So spoilers for Munich. If you haven't seen it, watch watch it. it. Yeah. We say that for a lot of things. Well, yeah, Daniel Craig's in them all. Mm, In 2017, this film was named the 16th best film of the 21st century so far by the New York Times. 16th. 16th. Jeez. Of of that 17-year, weird to do that list in 2017. but So far. (laughs) We've hit the landmark of 17 years into the century, (laughs) so let's do a list of... Anyway, um, so it's... About the uh, massacre at the 1972 uh, Munich Olympics, where a bunch of people from the Palestinian Liberation Organization broke into the uh, Olympian Olympic Village. Yeah, the athletes um, took, I believe, eleven. They took eleven Israeli athletes hostage, and in the course of them, I think, trying to leave or... Trying to transport their hostages to the airport so that they could evacuate via helicopter? Uh, yes. Yes. What were their demands, though? Um, they demanded that people that were um, currently in prison be let out. Y- yes. Other members of their organisation and some others, I think, as well. And also just to draw attention to their the what was going on with Israel and Palestine. Yeah. And it's kind of... it's. Interesting to think about. I watched a couple of like you know, brief sort of documentaries about what went on, just so I have some grounding. <laughs> Not that we are here to talk about the the history or the issues because we don't yeah. really have well informed opinions. We're talking about the text of the film, but now even if people aren't that well versed on the details of the Israel Palestine conflict, everyone is aware that it is a thing in the Western world and other countries. But back then, I guess when there's less, you know, mo- modes of communication. Part of their issue was they didn't think people knew what was going on with Israel and Palestine, so they were also trying to, with this attack, raise the profile of the whole, of the of the the conflict, basically, mm. which apparently it very much did do. Um, so, so it worked. Yay! Yeah, yeah. Um, and sort of well known as an example of an exceptionally poorly managed situation by the German authorities in the way they tackled it at the airport 
and in the course of the conflict all the hostages are killed and Israel decides to launch a campaign to assassinate members of the PLO who are or um, implicated in wider Palestinian terrorists who are implicated in planning the attack. And this is where the story comes in. Yeah. Um, Called Operation Wrath of God. Bam. Which really lets you know what kind of operation you're in. Yeah. I like when they go the other way and it's like Operation Paperclip. You know? Paperclip was pretty shitty though. Welcome to Operation Kill All Our Enemies. (laughs) Wow. Guys, I've got a new operation. It's called Operation Win the War. I don't know why we didn't do this one way back at the beginning now that I've thought of it. But anyway. It should have been the first one, maybe. Here we go. Um, so starring Eric Banner as the one of the, I believe, as playing a real person. Yes. <laughs> as the titular Munich. Yeah. Um, <laughs> who's playing a real person. I don't know how much of what he his character does in this is connected to I think the real guy. quite a lot of it is framed as being quite realistic. Yeah. Whereas they've added a few fictional people. Yeah. Well, my, yeah, my understanding is the details of the way the assassinations are carried out and the details of the original attack are mm. all accurate. Yes. But I think I think similar to Zero Dark Thirty, where they've sort of created a, a fictional set of people to tell the story through, but the story they're telling is true in a way. Yeah. You know? Based on real events. Yeah. And yeah. so he's not... So they make a point of like they're not hiring hardened, sort of experienced assassins, experienced killers. They want people who kind of still have their humanity to do this in kind of a restrained and controlled way. Yeah. To I think negate collateral damage. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, because it's an exceptionally complex situation. Yes. Because it's spread across all of Europe and many Arabic countries and Israel. And and there's the Americans mixed in. One thing we did note whilst watching it, only once is really a monument displayed in the in the film. Yes. So they go through they numerous get... cities throughout Europe. Yeah. But you get to see the Eiffel Tower for one scene. But, and it doesn't concentrate yeah. on that. Yeah. And you move on. And like I said, impressive, impressive restraint. It yeah. wasn't like pan from the Colosseum to Eric Banner and doing <laughs> doing this. Or in Rome, he must go to the Sistine. Yeah. He's got to walk past it. All right. I'll meet you at Big Ben. <laughs> What's that? That clock. I'll see you there. They're just That's... walking across Tower Bridge. Yeah. A lot of spies meet at very busy tourist spots, don't they, in a lot of films? Well, I guess it is a good way to hide. Because there's always got to be people. But you know those, really, those because... films where you get there and there's like five other people there yeah. at this classically known tourist spot where if yeah. you go there in the real world, there's 500 move. people there. Yeah. thing is now, you go there, you are going to be in the background of 40 photos. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> what I'd like to see is a spy film where they do meet, but then there's all the hawkers trying to sell you like little model... Yeah, Eiffel Towers. Yeah, by this one, by this one. Lights yeah. up, lights up, lights up. <laughs> the other guy gets there and he's just holding a bunch of ornaments. Like I just had to do it. So I've been leave. waiting here for twenty minutes, man. I couldn't not do this. I bought eight postcards. <laughs> Who am I going to send these to? <laughs> Nobody knows I'm here. I'm not. <laughs> I can't if use I send these. these I'll die. <laughs> um, so I really like the way. There's lots to like about this film. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, performances to begin with. Performances are great. Eric Banner does a brilliant job, and this is re- this is kind of Eric Banner's peak. Around this time, he's like he's done Chopper, and he's he's, he's had, done the Hulk. He's done the Hulk. He has this. He has a couple of other moves of a similar caliber, where he's just like a Hollywood leading man. And then he does Deliver Us from Evil, and it's sort of downhill. And it's just kind there. of tailed off a little bit. Yeah, you know, he's kind of it's kind of he's. So you you think similar it might be almost time for Eric Banner's like Renaissance? A Renaissance. Renaissance. Um, He'll get his John Wick soon. Yeah, time for him to have a Banner year. Oh, oh, oh. I apologize for that, Eric. <laughs> not, not a lot of Erics around, are there? <laughs> no. He's so cool. You forget his name is Eric. He's pretty cool. Very Australian. Yeah, and Daniel Craig is. So there's a group of five men that they assemble, and Daniel Craig's one of the other. Um, Jewish members of the team from South Africa. Yeah, so doing th- a very restrained South African accent. Yeah, th- well, he's just whipped that out of the out of his tool set. He's had that he's had that ready from the power <laughs> of one, and um, I dreamed of Africa. And so. I think in this one is probably the better way to do it, where it's not he d- he says some things that way and just leaves it for a little bit. Yeah, he just he sort of he just he just puts a little top he spin, puts little, that little Atlantic spin on it where it can be from anywhere. Yeah, the Mid-Atlantic. <laughs> just twangs a few words. Um, so it has to be said, interesting choice. Eric Banner is not Jewish. Daniel Craig is not Jewish. Jeffrey Rush is not Jewish. Kieran <laughs> Hines is definitely not Jewish. <laughs> and I understand that it's kind of part of it that the they people on the team people. aren't meant to look very Jewish because that was intentional so they could blend in in different environments. Mm-hmm. And they later on tell members of the PLO that they're not Jewish and they believe them. So, they, yeah. I mean... Eric Banner's little scene there where they tell members of the PLO and he becomes South African to the extent that Daniel Craig is. Yeah. For that. He just oh, puts right, the yeah. Afrikaans little accent in there and he's like, yeah. Yeah. That's believable for that one little scene. I mean, I, yeah, and I don't know what people's opinions are on those choices, but I just thought it was interesting. In my little Google, um, I didn't see much of the whole complaining about whitewashing these characters no i was expecting to find something about that maybe yeah. it's all right maybe it is okay i don't know it's not up to us whether it's okay it or not our opinion doesn't really matter on that subject doesn't matter so i mean we've stirred that pot now so if anyone wants to take that further yep it's simmering we, we'll just, just turn the heat down a little bit and maybe we're just artificially generating some conflict but that's what we're here for on this light-hearted fun <laughs> podcast um I really like the way the um, terrorist attack is shown at the start of the movie. There's lots of real news footage, and yep. it's spaced out across the movie, so you sort of see part of it at the beginning. I do like that you get... Well, I don't like that you get to see it. I, I, mm. I'm, you felt it was an example of good filmmaking? It's good filmmaking to show the entirety of the attack. Mm. So you, you, you get to see everything that happened mm. in... Yeah, the film, and piece by piece. I like where they where they use um, real clips of the newscasters from back in that time. It struck me where one of the uh, the, the guy who announces that the hostages have all died, mm. and he comes in and he says, "People say rarely are your best hopes or your worst fears realized, but today that is the case." Just imagine anyone on the news today saying, saying that? anything even close to that eloquent. Like, that's not mind-blowing, but just 
Like, it's, it's things like that that just makes me feel like the human species is declining in a certain <laughs> way because we just can't... The people I don't can't think we pull can... something like that out of the air. I think also these days a lot of the terrible things that happen in the world happen not more frequently, but we are very desensitized to it. Maybe. But... And, like, everything is announced nonchalantly that because something terrible happens again or someone does something terrible again. Maybe, but I really observed in this how common bombs going off in Europe were around this time. Around the time, yeah. Which is not something that occurs now. Like if a bomb goes off in Paris... You're going to know about it on the news and Obviously it was a big deal then as well, but I'm like, man, if this was just this is just going on all the time. Yeah. And it's not a period of history I know a huge amount about, but... I mean, it's been such a weird time because this is around 1970, 72, 73, this is going on. So that's like World War II and the Holocaust ended in the late 90s. And, yeah. It, like That's how, that's well, the, the time. NAM is happening at, this, yeah, at yes. this point in time. Yeah. And from our vantage point in history, when you see people just wearing those clothes, those modern clothes, or modern, those 70s clothes, you can lose touch with how close that is to what was going on 20 years before, which from our historical perspective feels much, much older. It does. And but I, I remember when that newscaster saying they're gone, they're all gone. That really stuck with me the first time. Like that's something I remembered. From I think that's actual this. footage too. Yeah, yeah, mm. that is how, that's how we said it. Like it's just so raw. Mm. So very understandable they use that. And then there's what I think is probably one of the best written scenes where they show... I don't know, it's other people of the Israeli government and it's the Israeli Prime Minister whose name was... Lady... Golda Meir? Meir? M-E-I-R. Mayor. Played, by, played by Lynn Cohen, who only just recently, who just passed away this year. Hmm. Yeah, 86. 2020. I know, right? It's the worst. Um, and yeah, we were saying, imagine how freaking tough and intense a person you have to be to be a female prime minister of israel in, in nine, the 70s in 1970 like, that's an impressive person and and she has some eloquent lines yeah and she's basically they especially them coming up with the plan for operation wrath of god and they're debating a little bit whether they should do this and what are the things she says i think it's interesting she says um I don't know who these people are. I don't know where these people come from. Talking about the terrorists. Yeah. Which is kind of the point of the whole movie that no one's sort of paying attention to that cycle. They're just treating all of these things as temporary aberrations that they can control through violence rather than... Everything is everything is listed as a retaliation to something else happening. Yeah, yeah, which is obviously very much the situation. She says, what law protects men like this? And she hadn't considered things like Operation Wrath of God before, but today I'm hearing with new ears. And every civilization finds it necessary to negotiate compromises with their own values. Which is a sign that some real dodgy shit's about to go down. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want politicians saying that. No. You don't want politicians saying that. You know what? I mean, we all know what right and wrong is, but you can't. You can't work with that all the time. Sometimes you just got to be a little grey. Yeah, you got to negotiate a compromise with what the right thing to do is. Sometimes that line between right and wrong is very wide. Yeah, (laughs) 
They've hints. drawn that with a very wide highlighter. And we can do a 20-year assassination operation in that line, and it's fine. Um, and so Jeffrey Rush gives Eric Banner his mission. And I like Jeffrey Rush in this film. I think his performance is r- really good, and it's clever to introduce comedy at this point. Yes. Where, because so much of the film is tense and and heavy and tough to watch, B- bringing in this amount of comedy in the course of him being given the mission where the guy's like, I need receipts. And he's like, do you want some baklava? No, like, well, just as well. You don't have dental insurance anymore. <laughs> it makes you kind of go along with the idea of being given the mission. It holds at arm's length the reality of what they're going to have to do. Yeah. And helps you walk into this trap with Eric Banner that he's that he's getting involved in. Because the stories of, of him losing his humanity through this. I think it does a good thing of setting up Eric Banner's humanity at the start. Hmm. And they've taken all of his identity away, but they set him up as a regular human and you get to watch then the film sort of Mm. like chip away at little things that he does. Yeah, and I think his performance of the transformation of this character is really good. Really good. He got nominated for nothing for this and I find that surprising. Has Eric Banner been nominated for anything? Uh, I don't know. Probably for Chopper. Definitely for Hulk. Oh, yeah. 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 That's some good hulking out. For most unexpected person to be the Hulk. <laughs> no. <Neither. laughs> um, You're the Hulk? Mm. Yeah. I have the same surname, but it's spelled different. Oh yeah. <laughs> They're like, who already has the name? Can we work can we work from that angle? <laughs> Does, is that a good way to cast? This one sounds the same. Um they <laughs> <laughs> So he goes to where is the first city that they go to? Well, he he meets with the prime minister first, and she says um, he's, he was like a security officer for her or something at some point. Yeah, he was one of her bodyguards for a little and time. She says, I like neat, durable men. <laughs> Which is <laughs> an interesting phrase as well. That's what, that's what she goes for. Mm. And I think it works as well to have her be the person who's sanctioning this, give those, give those justifications from her perspective, be nice to him and the fact that she's the prime minister so it really gives the sense of we how have, high up this is yeah so we have just the moral right to be doing what we're doing like it's clear at the start of yeah we're going to go in we're going to assassinate these people because we have to you know make this right quote unquote there's people always trying to make things right in a situation where it's just a jenga tower yeah. or at the risk of sounding overly flippant Cheesy fries. That's a reference to our layer cake episode. We're much less um, historically dense and significant film. Um, <laughs> that um, wasn't listed as 16th on the um, list of n- best films of the 20th probably, century, 21st century. Probably wasn't. Thus far. Um, and so they get to, so then the, the group all, all gets together, and you've got Eric Banner. You got Daniel Craig, you got Kieran Hines, who's really good in this as well, as someone who's just got those like that. He can have he can have some he can be likable, but still have just a dead eyed stare of someone who just looks like they've done terrible things and are capable of terrible things. <laughs> even though they're just wearing a suit and looking at you. Yeah. And even though he's not he doesn't look like he's 
you know. Doesn't, it doesn't look imposing. Doesn't look like look... he works out a lot, shall we say? But he's got that more sort of slack, villainous physicality to him, which is interesting because he's one of our cool heroes. Too. Yeah, wears a good hat. Um, and we've got the bomb maker guy who also makes little toys. Yep. So w- the welcome return of small toy animatronics to the Daniel Craig filmography after Obsession. <laughs> There's a detail Yay. there for you. Uh, also a welcome return in this film is Sylvie, who we meet later, the sister of the French guy, yep. is also in um, 10 Minutes Older. She's in one of those films. In that oh, anthology okay. series, right. in my googling, I came across that. I'm like, okay. that's nifty. That's a that's a tenuous link, but we'll take <laughs> it. And uh, what's Kieran Hines in? He's in something else. Oh, he's in Road to Perdition. Yes, so produced by Spielberg, so he's drawn these people back together. And uh, they've got another older guy who likes antiques. His name is Hans, and his character's name is also Hans. Uh, cool. Yeah. Mm. Don't overthink it. Sometimes you know. No, you don't need to. Hey, sometimes people have. You got a name. You got a name. Yeah. I want Daniel to play Daniel. Mm. So it's really a thing that none of these, these everything's very civilized in this film, you know. Everything's, you know, they're always eating really nice food and in quite sort of um, ornate. Well, by they're, today's they're standards, staying in settings. quite nice places. Yeah. So, and that's sort of one of the themes is going on. I think is like what counts as civilization and when is civilization sort of endangered, and how, how you can have sort of the trappings of civilization whilst doing brutal really sort of ethically um questionable things um and they and so, so their first one is they go to rome that's it and so the, and the sequence of these assassinations is historically accurate as well from as much as i can tell mm-hmm. um and so talking about like ways in which this film is entertaining what what i think really sets this story up to be uh, a good film is all of the methods of assassination are kind of unusual and they're all different. Yes. They don't kill two people the same way and they have to go to a fun new location for each one. <laughs> like they, they, they never it's do It's like a spy movie it's without like a being a spy movie. Yeah, or yeah, Bond yeah, Bond Well, it movies. is a spy movie. It's or a or a Jason Bourne really where mm. like they never kill two people in the same in the same city or in the in the same way. So I think and the fact that it's made such a part of the story, how they're building the bombs and what the plan is for what to do with them and how difficult it is to actually carry it off makes it much more engaging than if they were just going around shooting people. Yes. Like if they were just going around, quote-unquote, just going around shooting people, then you'd have to make your film about some, something else because the the technicalities of how they do this is so, I guess, interesting in a morbid way. Um that yeah that makes it set up to be a good film and i and i think the only limitation with this like when you say it's boring it's boring in the back half uh, yeah it's drawn out in the back they, half the first half is very engaging yeah while they're getting to it yeah i feel like the i feel like the assassinations happen they fit they stop doing the assassinations because they realize it's not like they've kind of lost their nerve and it's not really working the way they thought it was going to. They're not going to be able to make this thing right. Mm. And then we just sort of spend another, it feels like half an hour, 45 minutes continuing to realize that. Yeah. And I think our, st- our story was more about this group of guys. And so keep the story about that rather than have so much of Eric Banner in Brooklyn. Yeah. You know? If it's a TV show, that's a great final episode showing the fallout for him later on in his life. But 
I mean, it's two and a half hours, and I think you can cut half an hour. At least. I would also like more Daniel Craig. I would like more. After the point where it gets to then be just Eric Banner in New York, I was hoping for another scene of Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig just disappears out of the He's mentioned story. as saying, yeah, you, he said mm. good things about you, yeah. you and never seen again. That's an interesting role for him because it's, it's kind of thankless in that his character doesn't really get to do anything. His character doesn't do any... It's, it's, it's never like his turn to do an assassination. He doesn't really have an arc. Yeah. Um, he's really a secondary character. But I think that's why Spielberg put him in it. Because Spielberg, he didn't have to audition for this. Spielberg just chose him. Really? Yeah, he just called him up. He said, come visit me in Paris. I'll talk to you about a film. And he just talked to Daniel Craig for a while. I was like, okay, yeah, so you're going to do this role. Um, and I think he... Because he would have known him from Road to Perdition. Yeah. He, I think... Would have loved him in Road to Perdition. Yeah. I think he saw, I've got this role. It's kind of a nothing role. But if I put Daniel Craig in it, he'll just put a lot of life into it. And it... And I think... Which he did. Which he, which he does, by not really doing anything in particular. But I think that with these like higher tier movies, that's one of the features of them where everything that's on screen is just somehow in, in, engaging you in a really sort of effervescent way. Mm. And the fact that you've got Daniel Craig just sort of bopping along with his high energy in this, in this kind of unimportant role in a way you know, elevates the whole thing. Yeah. That's something I say a lot. That Daniel Craig elevates things? Just that things have been elevated. By the presence of Daniel Craig. Well, that probably I probably have said a lot of that lately. Especially in the last couple of months. And for the people listening to this, they've definitely heard you say that more. Yeah. Because that's most of the things you say. But that's okay. Well, Do we want to I guess plot we this? don't see our patterns till they're all laid out in front of us. <laughs> Well, I think we don't have to. We don't have to spend too too long on it. We, we're getting through it. So okay. So the first one they do is in Rome, and they're going to shoot that guy in the lobby of his building. Yep. He's the guy who translates Thousand and One Arabian Nights into Italian. Italian. So they do. I think the other thing that's effective about this is the way it humanizes each of the targets and yep. shows them as three dimensional people and doesn't show them doing anything the only one it doesn't show you is the big bad. one who is apparently more dangerous than the rest of them and yeah. the sunglasses guy and he doesn't get to have any humanizing moments no he's just got his bodyguards wearing yeah. his sunglasses you think he's a tosser he's wearing evil aviators and he has a loud shirt so obviously he and he's, and he's like laughing and joking so <laughs> he's the villain so he's 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 a villain um yeah, and so we watch this guy giving his reading and he doesn't seem like an evil or a violent or aggressive person. And I guess that's part of, the, of it as well that these guys aren't, like they're not soldiers in a war. These are people who are, I don't know, I presume like facilitating or attempting to facilitate They'd or be sympathetic kind of like, to. It's the same role that politicians have where they get to choose what happens. They're just not on the ground directly involved. Yeah, or I think like take making some practical steps to enable stuff to yeah. to happen and planning assassinations and, and that sort of thing. Um, I think I thought that for the scene of that first assassination was very effective, where they they struggle to get their guns out. Where it takes them a second. Eric to took pull a long time because he's not an experienced. I thought that was very well done. And yeah, they're sort of trying to decide whether or not they're gonna shoot him, and then the falling forward with the glass milk bottles. Uh, yeah, and a lot of blood. Milk, milk, and the blood. 
And then Kieran Hines coming in to pick up the bullet shells. Kieran Hines just walks in like the angel of death. For no reason. Yeah, they're all they, running. They could have he just, just picked slowly up slowly enters, picks up the bullet shells and leaves. No yeah. rush. <laughs> yeah, just stone cold. But he does that at several points after an assassination. He's, he's the one who comes in afterwards and yeah. helps clean up the mess. Yeah, can we get a Kieran Hines vehicle? Is it too late? <laughs> We get him to have a have his taken, but oh, where he never definitely have his John Wick. But he never moves fast or does anything energetic. He's just a sort of a slow menace. <laughs> he follows the invisible creature, and it follows. Is actually played by Kieran Hines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, good. Then the second one, they go to. Then it's Paris. Paris is the second one, and their plan is to put a bomb in this guy's telephone. Yeah. And basically call him. He answers the phone. They notice it's him and blow it up. There is a nice scene there where um, things get in the way and then accident the daughter accidentally comes inside and they realize mm. this is the last moment and there's that horrid rush to yeah. stop the bomb from going off, yep. which they do. No music the whole time mm. in that scene. It's just oh. sound design and street, street sounds and car sounds. And um, there's a really good video on YouTube by uh, Nerdwriter and about the sound design in this film. Mm-hmm. And he sort of dissects, in particular, that scene about how they're just drawing your attention to different things by raising and lowering different sounds in, in, in the scene without just, like, putting music on it to tell you that there's tension happening. That's cool. So that's worth checking out. Um, one of the things I haven't mentioned that we have passed already is that scene where Jeffrey Rush offers him the baklava is one shot. It's just a very, very long mm. shot of them walking along the beachfront, and it goes for at least six minutes of conversation. Yeah, I enjoy long shots. Well, I think I think that's a, a Spielberg hallmark, isn't it? To I where think so. to often do scenes in just one long shot. So not like as a gimmick, just the never-ending tracking shot, mm. but it's a actual a conversation. You film your entire scene mm. in one go, which yeah. is awesome. Yeah, yeah, it makes it feel sort of more realistic. restful and uh, yes, un, it's unshowy, you know, mm, not flashy. Yeah, very repeated, very frequently, and this is the the long zooms. That I also feel as though it's purposely done to make you feel as though you're watching something that actually took place in the seventies, because a lot of seventies movies do that. Like mm. that is a trope of things actually, like Dirty yeah. Harry and bullet and stuff like that yeah there is a zoom to something that's happening in the background yeah like someone's being watched and so you zoom over their shoulder to the, the person, person watching them with two the holes in the newspaper that yeah looking through and mm. yeah and that's that's a trope and i you it's very purposeful but it makes you feel as though this is taking place at that point in time yeah yeah which is great um, so the, the second assassination works after they stop the bomb from killing the guy's daughter. So it's in, it's to, to be able to do that one, that's the first time they meet Robert, played by Batur Kasovitz, better known as the bad guy from Quantum of Solace. He is much better known as that, is he? Uh, I think so. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think that's what he's most well known for, although he's now been in, incorporated into the Wes Anderson universe in uh, Grand <laughs> Budapest, and he's in the upcoming whatever it is, was Anderson's Love Actually, where he does six movies in one, um, which I'm worried about. Um, and this was, I think this is probably one of my other bigger problems with the movie because they didn't just get all their information from one French dude. It would have been 
these very sort of wide networks of different sources and agents finding different stuff out. And I understand how you have to simplify that for the purposes of this film. But it just seemed to go against... Just, it just, just seemed to go against the idea of the movie to have so much of the storyline be pinned on this one yeah. guy and is almost like godlike father who just sort of knows everything but we don't know I how think or why. that's the downfall for me is that the story you're here or that they're telling is about the deeply emotional road that they're going down, getting mm. revenge for this attack that took place, but you spend a heap of your film concentrating on this French guy that they're getting intel from and how... Mm. They have a lot of conversations with yeah. with Robert, and then we go into his family's house to meet his dad. Which I don't think is necessary for the story. No, you can You can like... set up the French guy as an imposing person and just change the way it's told a little bit. Yeah, like suddenly it becomes the Godfather for a little while. Yeah, and I and I think like the like film's other points are about like it's history and cycles and everything's come from something before. So having someone there who's in World War Two, I guess. But then Kieran Hines would have been in World War Two. Well, most of the characters would have been alive at that point in time. But that, yeah, they'd, they'd have been alive. But I don't know. I just don't think we got much out of that. And yeah, I think it, yeah. it's it felt like it took tension out of it. The scene of where just, he goes there. To the to the French guy's family home mm. is a good scene, but I think oh, it's yeah. from a different film. It should be from a different movie. Yeah, I mean, like it's all Spielberg, so there's no everything's good, but mm. it's just not as. I think it removes a bit of the cap- as captivation, up as and mm. from that point on, it just gets a little mm. bit of a drag. Yeah, because um, the- that's when they get in trouble for what they did in Beirut, which is the fourth assassination. So the third yeah. one is in Athens where they blow up part of a hotel and almost kill one of their own guys and almost kill an innocent Israeli honeymooning couple. Yeah, they make a point of that. That um, was a very, very realistic bomb, though, mm. that blew up the hotel room and destroyed the rooms around it, and it yeah. shows the aftermath, which I think is a good way of showing how much it's affecting Eric Banner's character. I wanted an explanation of why they were doing all this bomb stuff. When the guns look, work so well the first time. Let's just stick with the guns. Like, they say that like three times. Why do we keep doing this? <laughs> it never works. It never goes great. It just introduces so many, like there are quite literally so many moving parts in that, <laughs> in that there's scheme. Also, there's also like every bomb they use is different yeah. for no reason. Like if the first one worked where it's just a trigger, he lifts the thing up, you press the button at the light. Yeah. If that one worked, which it did, you can just do the same thing everywhere yep. you go. Not They don't have to be a different plan each time. I don't understand why Eric Banner has to be in the hotel room next door when the bomb goes off. And like Eric Banner is able to just check into the next door hotel room, just climb over that balcony with a silencer, <laughs> and we, we are done. Yeah, there's not even like a gap. The balcony no. is just separated by a little glass panel that comes up to your waist. Yeah. You could just pop over that glass panel. And how did they get the bomb in there? That would have been difficult. They were in the room while the guy was away that day. <sighs> anyway. I mean, I mean, I don't want to give advice to Mo- Mossad about how they should be ruthlessly well, assassinating people. Yeah. Notoriously better at it than everybody else. You'd think, you'd think so. Yeah. Maybe they learned from this. Well, Maybe these guys learned. officially aren't working for the Mossad. True. Yeah. yeah, they've been excommunicated from the start. Yeah, yeah, because they very cleverly got people with no 
training? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> this guy makes toys. I'm pretty sure we should entrust this massive mission to him. Um, um, that seems great as well. I mean, what can you say? Yep. So the fourth Just one what? is then when they get intel from the French people that three of their list are in Beirut. And that's a bigger deal because it's not in Europe. And they're meant to it's in, in a, Europe. Yeah. So they eventually get permission from Jeffrey Rush to accompany a group of Israeli soldiers to infiltrate the city to take out the assassination. Operation Spring of Youth. Which doesn't go well. A lot of people die. Well, I, th- yeah. Well, I, th- mm. yeah. They said they, 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 they get like, their three targets, a couple of bystanders. That kicks off the whole fact that the French guys are a little pissed off at Eric Banner. Yeah, and isn't it that they inadvertently kill a KGB agent while they're there? And so the the KGB are then, and like that's not even made a big deal towards the end. It just is happening mm. in the background. Yeah, I think they should have emphasized that more because the KGB kill two, three. Three of their members. Three yeah. of our main characters. Our group of five. Three of them get killed by the KGB mm-hmm. because of this thing that just accidentally happened on this one mission. And I think that really works thematically for the movie that they're we're then, over here doing this and now they're being hunted by this other agency. Yeah. So now they are having an Operation Wrath of God done to them for what they have accidentally done. Mm. So, you know, it really makes you think, doesn't so you it? Could, you're thinky history you could concentrate a lot more yeah. on that aspect and negate yeah. the need for more time with the french family yeah like that should be a learning point for eric banner's character to sort of realize. once he realizes what's oh, happening it's like okay there I, are other other retaliations to our actions here. yeah i am just fueling fires here ultimately in a way that is unavoidable you know the soldiers or like the commandos who did that operation in Beirut, one of them was future Israeli prime minister. I saw that. I read that. Ehud, Ehud Barak. That's pretty intense. That is a little, little. Yeah. Yeah. Who have we got? Scott Morrison. He's not. Imagine. I don't think Scott Morrison served in the armed I don't forces think, at I don't all. think he was a commando. No. Can't see him pulling up on a black speedboat in a, in a, in a cat suit. Dropping his bag three times. That is Scott Morris. That one. If you're watching this movie, one of the commandos drops his bag three times getting off the speedboat. And it's quite <laughs> funny when you see it. <laughs> Maybe that was the Prime Minister. Come on. <laughs> I'm, I'm on getting purpose. out of this. I'm that, going into that politics. Guy's purposely failed yeah. several times. <laughs> now, the person playing the Prime Minister, you're going to fall flat on your ass. Um, when, when you notice things like that in films, though, where it's a mistake that happens for a long period of time in a take. Does it then make you think they've done one take and left and live with it, or just the best take was that one? Well, I think it's, I yeah, it probably was the best take, and I think it's fine. It's not like a an error. No, it's a very that humanizing totally thing for happen. a person to have happen to them. Yeah, you know, you see the human side of these ruthless commandos. <laughs> That's nice. Um, ah, you know, I was talking about the sound design. Yeah, the sound design for this came up with the sound of lightsabers. Really? Yep. That's awesome. So that's a little, that's pretty cool. God, he knows Spielberg. So he knows sound. He, well, he does. He's come he up. He invented a sound. He invented one of the, the best sounds. And, and a speaker. Wow. Do you beatbox? No. Oh, well. Probably just as well. Yeah, I'm a rapper. I'm more of a vocalist. And so I think... 
At this point... My words need to be spoken. Sorry, continue. The death is getting more and more sort of... Affecting. Affecting and visceral and not black and white. Yeah. So I think with each sort of iteration of what they're doing, it's more complex, it's it's messier, and now like bystanders are getting killed. And so I think the the arc of the characters' deterioration in terms of their morality or on how careful they are is very well drawn as well in the two-hour film within this two-and-a-half-hour film. Yeah. Um, the scene during that commando attack where Eric Banner, there's a shot where he saves... He stops them from shooting the... a random teenager. Mm. And that's a nice way of showing that he's still as human as he can be yeah. whilst being involved mm. in such horrific things. Yeah. And we want to see that because he's our protagonist. Yes. Like just as a neutral audience member. But you but... are challenged more and more to agree with, with what he's doing. Yeah. Um, then they go... At that point, then... after that attack is when his team start to disappear. So yeah, well yeah. so there's then then it's the godfather scene with the french dad. Yep. Then it's Athens, another fun new location and they're at that shitty safe house. Big Oh, that is right. Yes. They go to Beirut. The french get angry at them and um you're made to think that the fa- the go- the gold the french godfather yeah is like forgiving he's like just don't make a mistake again Mm. we're still on good terms you pay me better than anyone else but his Mm -hmm. son is not about it so he gives them the safe house in athens but also sends members of the plo to the same safe house yeah they break in on them our heroes pretend to be heroes our guys pretend to be uh african mercenaries yeah so everything's fine and so that's quite this is quite powerful. So now you get to have a conversation between Eric Banner and a member of the PLO. Who are about, his enemy. Yeah, about what they're doing and, 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 and why they're doing it. Um, there's a probably the best Daniel Craig bit where they're each turning the radio on and off. Yeah. And one of the PLO guys is listening to some of their music and Daniel Craig turns it off and then turns it back on again. So Daniel Craig, they, and it's like they're just staring at each other and Daniel Craig just turns the dial to find some pop music and they both just nod. Yeah, okay. it's they find the the middle Reagan, ground. Yeah, 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 and you're like, oh, everything's gonna be fine. They can be maybe friends. Come on, Israel Palestine. We all like this song. <laughs> does this does this help? Does it help if we all like this one song? No. Okay. Um. So while they plan their bombing mm. of of the guy's room, and they're version of the bomb is they create using some phosphorus grenades which burn white hot yeah um and it's going to be in a tv now and yeah they've placed it inside the television in this room and it Just doesn't work you you'll never guess fucks up royally yeah and um so, one of the guys nearly dies trying to push the guy into the room so he'll get blown up yeah he runs in with a grenade at the end throws the grenade and is trying to hold the door closed it's really bad at getting the grenade pin out i was like why do we have this what 60 year old guy on his own just pulling this pin nervously trying to throw a grenade <laughs> at the guy tiger was just looking at him do it yeah. Like, it is amazing you got any of these targets based on this film. That's very, like, humanizing, though. Very realistic yeah. for it to be like that. Yeah. I think one of the strengths of this movie is how, even though it obviously does leave a lot of detail out, 
it shows how hard it would be to assassinate people, to find the information, figure out where they are, and pull pull these things off. Yeah, and I think then have in this exhausting. Day and age, it'd be easier to find people. Easier to find people. Yeah. yeah, and just how exhausting it would be doing this over and over again. Yeah, um, it'd just be mentally tight, and the fact that it takes so long. Yeah, and, to do their task. Yeah, and then there's the big gunfight where they. He ends up, he, he shoots the guy he was talking to before. Yeah, he shoots the PLO member. Yeah, yeah. And there was good things in that conversation I liked where it's, he's sort of saying like, if you guys do this, like these acts of terrorism, people will just see you as animals. And he says, yes, but then they'll wonder what made us animals. And that's kind of a another articulation of the sort of thesis of the of, of the of movie that conflict. it's just all, it's all, uh, you know, one long cycle and revenge doesn't work. No. Um, and this is that perpetual tension between agency and structure of what are people responsible for there's always a reason why people are the way they are how much do we react to what they did as if they bear sole responsibility and how much do we try and respond to the wider context yeah I mean it's more fun to watch this film than just say it like that you know? I guess in a way that's why we do art mm. Then the KGB start because during that gunfight where he kills the PLO member, they end up killing a KGB. Oh, then they kill a KGB, KGB guy. Okay. And after that point, they're staying in London. Yeah, another fun new location. Another fun, not dreary at all, because they have intel mm. that, um, the sunglasses do the one. Salami. The one we're not showed to be humanized at all. Yeah. Salami. Um, he's in London, so they're there in a nice hotel. Mm. And Eric Banner and a woman at the bar hit off a nice mm. little conversation. Prob- when they arrive in London, that's probably the best Daniel Craig scene, actually, where they're just, where the team's starting to break down a little bit. And Daniel Craig says, why don't we just shoot them? <laughs> I'm the only one who wants to, who actually wants to shoot these guys. Like, <laughs> he's, he's always like, they're like waiting in the wings to sort of take a more active role and he never gets to he in doesn't. the film. Which and is quite he's, sad arguing for them to take a less humane approach to the whole thing. Kieran Hines is trying to, as he says, I'm trying to keep myself sane throughout all of this. Because they're debating whether or not they should shoot the bodyguards as well and whether they count. And then Eric Banner finally makes the decision that if they're armed, we shoot them. Yeah. So just another step down the ladder. Yeah. Um, Um, So Eric Banner has a conversation with this strange lady at the bar who hits on him. Yeah. Who he refers to as a honey trap. Yeah, and Kieran Hines obviously doesn't take that seriously. No, he wants wants and a bit of honey. And she lures Kieran. Yeah, but it's a trap. Yeah, but she lures honey. Kieran Hines upstairs to the hotel, and she kills him. She kills him. That's a question I have. In that scene, she he's been shot in the back of the head and is lying on the pillow. Yet there is blood all over the foot of the bed. Uh, I didn't see the blood on the foot of the okay. bed. I, I was... think so. She's placed him on the pillow. No, which maybe it was her... just a shadow. Maybe you didn't see it right. Perhaps. Perhaps. Very rarely do I see things wrong, Sam. Yeah, I know that is the truth you live with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the truth I choose. Yes, that's the truth you compel. And yes, so they... So now things are heating up and things are getting real shitty. Eric Banner discovers his body. Yeah, and um, that woman is just like a hit person. She's just a Dutch hitman. A hit woman who isn't involved in the politics of the situation or she's just been hired by the KGB mm-hmm. and... This is another step down the ladder of, even though like it was just business, it's nothing personal, yep. we're going to go and kill her as well. And so they do this 
by taking a train to Vienna? Uh, I th- Amsterdam. I, no, yeah, they went down to Amsterdam. Yeah, and, and to her toy lovely maker, houseboat. The toy maker decides he doesn't want to go because this is a step he won't take. Yeah, He'll so keep now... with the bombs. He'll keep doing the job that they were originally there for. Yeah. And Eric Banner says, I'll mm. call you when I need you again. Yeah. And there's a cool mirroring there where in that conversation with the PLO guy, that guy says, um, we're, we're fighting for our home and home is everything. Mm. And then here, the bomb maker, he says... I don't know. I don't know what we're doing. This is seeming crazier and crazier. If I'm, I'm sort of losing my righteousness, I think he says. Yeah. If I lose that, then I've lost everything. Like that's that's my soul. So my faith. Yeah. Yeah. So different points of view. Just different, different people with, with different ha- highest priorities. Where for one person, if they lose, they'll lose everything by participating in this conflict, and someone else will lose everything yeah. by by giving up on it. So um, Daniel Craig, Eric Banner, and Hans go to this Dutch houseboat still declining to just use guns well, they, they have these weird little pipes that have that, a bullet that one shoot single bullet. like a bb gun and so and this murder is incredibly grim yeah like it's really really hard to watch and it really sort of starts you to turn a, it makes you see how cold these guys have become, have become yeah. now and i mean like yeah sure it's sad kieran hines died but he's the angel of death and like he knew what he was doing when he got into this, he and did. she's just a contractor. <laughs> like she's not, yeah. you know. So it, do, it, it really starts to feel that like this isn't getting us anywhere, lads. Like you're not. This doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't help to have done this. Yeah, this isn't right. Yeah. When she but, picked up a cat, man. Oh fuck! I don't even wanna. Just. Mm. <sighs> so they kill her, and it's not yeah. very nice. No. It's very. They don't do a lot, but they just watch what happens. They yeah, watch her that's die. That's what's so fucking they cold about it. They basically stand there and watch her die. Yeah, which is not pleasant. And that's kind of the turning point for Hans, where he 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 is sort of saying like he's really starting to lose it a little bit. Yeah. But then he gets killed by the KGB. And we don't see it happening. He just sort of turns up on a bench. Yeah, which I thought was quite a like a a good mm. scene to show like this. They just happened. In oh, the yeah. night time, he went out for a walk. Yeah. That's, K- that's KGB, bro. Mm-hmm. Just rice and umbrella. Yeah. Probably happened for two days ago. And he just kicked in. Could be. Um, I think it had a knife in him. Yeah. Oh, did he? Yeah, they said. Okay, well, that hasn't knife. been there for days. No. Um, also in London, that's when they are trying to do that assassin- do that assassination of Salami and the CIA fuck it up for them. By pretending With to be drunk. three very well-known like actors I've seen in stuff. Oh, yeah. The one of them was actually in Black Klansman that I watched the other day. I'm like, oh, that's the same guy. And like, they've all been in things, not named characters in this at all. And I thought they were just going to introduce themselves as the CIA then and that they're protecting Mm. this guy and there would be a fight of some sort. But they're just there and then they leave. Yeah. When they're just like getting into the scuffle, it's all these just grown men in trench coats just like slap fighting (laughs) each other in the rain. I was like, the situation's. All these men just get themselves into. Like, what are you doing? Um, yeah. So eventually, it's now down. Um, whilst whilst they are m- murdering the lady on her boat, the toy maker is returned home. Yeah. Well, I think after after murdering the lady, that's when um, Banner is starting to really lose it. Yeah. He's already he starts to freak out after the after the killing of the the woman. He's starting to freak out a bit. He's doing angry emotional cooking. Yeah, he cooks a, a lot of food for three people. Yeah, 
He's doing like, and he's just doing, he's doing sad. And I like stressed Daniel shopping. Craig's mentioning of we've got enough food here to feed Bangladesh. Bangladesh. <laughs> Didn't know that was a phrase. <laughs> is that is that a unit of measurement for food? <laughs> um, and Eric Banner's getting paranoid in his room, and he's like slicing his mattress open, and mm. and uh, he's checking expecting his, taking somebody his phone to have apart. planted something. The KGB yeah. along them, and while this happens. The toy maker is blown up in his own home. Yeah, yeah, in a house full of bombs. So talk. Yeah, he's disarming a whole hard. lot of bombs, and then one of them just goes off. Yeah, when something stops working. So, yeah. so we assume it's a little the KGBs bit that have done that. And then somebody, know, somebody later on mentions bomb makers blow themselves up all the time, mm. um, as though it wasn't the KGB. Yeah. That was Jeffrey Rush, wasn't it? Yeah. Um. And so now Eric Banner's character is just living in a world he's created of anything can be a bomb. He's just paranoid. In the same way anything can now be a cake, in those days anything could be a bomb. Mm-hmm. And he has, you know, and you, and you, and you feel it because, like, oh, at the start of this, no one knew who we were and we were just doing clean, in and out, doing missions. And now we're embroiled you know with now we are part of this world and we, we will not this. leave this world this and world has found us yeah like you can't you know yeah you become so, a it becomes part of you um daniel craig and he find the location of the guy that they couldn't kill in london and they go there with the big sniper rifle but the house is full of people yeah. one of them sees him and this is sort of his Re- I think, really I think this what is this his is, breaking point where this is yeah because he's really attempting to put some finality to the operation because yeah. he says if we get salami then I can stop yeah we can go home yeah I've decided that's my that's my line and they do annoyingly they finally decide to just use guns but also they go also, up, up inappropriately close to the house yeah like I don't like him and Daniel didn't look like they put two seconds of thought into this. They're like, what if we just paint our face? What if we put on the cat suits and just run up there with a sniper rifle? Do you reckon we can do it? Yeah, but like how many are in there? The the having of the sniper rifle would mean you can stay a distance away where you're safe. Or just look through the scope a distance away to see how many people are in there. Yeah. See, I think the version of this film where you do less of the Brooklyn stuff at the end, you you emphasize Daniel Craig's character and his relationship to Eric Banner would be built out a little bit more, mm-hmm. especially now it's just the two of them. And because mm-hmm. they're kind of the most similar in terms of like age and physicality and their roles in the team. Yeah. And you could have had Daniel Craig be a little bit more. Daniel Craig from the start could have been the leader of the team. Well, I he think was probably the most. I would have keep Eric Banner as the leader of the team because he's, no, he's like, less obvious. They could have chosen. Daniel Craig as the leader of the team, and it still would have been the same team. Like it would have been able to do the things that it does. Uh, yes, very but capable. I like it for the characters for Eric Banner to be the oh yeah leader, yeah, yeah definitely, and have Daniel Craig at the beginning resent his leadership a bit and mm. just do that old story of just do a sharp eagle where and then he becomes his sort of uh, he then respects his leadership by the end, but then the two of them because then when it's because when. You don't feel the loneliness of they've been a group of five. You'd be incredibly close with these people at this point, and now three of them are dead, and it's just you two left. Mm-hmm. And now to try and do a mission without the other guys, that would be really emotional be as hard, well. Yeah. And I think 
we really sort of rush through this bit of the film where I think that that because that's the that's what should be the climax of the film and it feels rushed but that's because you don't realize that we're planning on spending a lot of time in Brooklyn after all this yes. without any Daniel Craig yeah. so I think that's that's the change that that's so, those those are my notes when they botch up this assassination by shooting yeah. a guard yeah. that finds them in the middle of the yard yeah because they didn't factor in the possibility of there being a guard they flee and the final shot of them fleeing is just a shot Eric Banner face. And you don't get to see Daniel Craig. I thought Daniel no. Craig was going to die at this point. Yeah. Could, yeah. Or you could have done that. Um, but yeah, then he just then you just never see Daniel Craig. And again. you never see him. He's mentioned once. Yeah. And then you never see him. So they return to Israel. And he's um, greeted he's like a hero. Hailed as a hero by two young soldiers who aren't supposed to know who he is. Yeah. Everyone knows who the secret Hadron is. Um, he then basically disagrees with all the stuff he's done. Yeah, and goes. I think it's powerful that now for the first time you're back seeing Jeffrey Rush in Israel, it's really recontextualized from the last time we were there. Yeah. Because the first time we had Jeffrey Rush in Israel, it's fun, it's funny. We're making jokes about receipts. We're kind of, as just as a movie viewer, you're kind of excited about what this mission is going to be like. And I think the film really does take you on the journey of feeling the sort of jaded, traumatized way that Eric Banner now feels coming back. Yeah. And sort of so he morally goes to New York to where his wife confused. is. Um, and he returns home, is then paranoid about the world. Yeah. Very reasonably. He bursts into an embassy and says, because he thinks that they're fo- the Mossad are following him. Yeah, he's actually worried threatens that the Mossad them. are going to kill him. He threatens them that if they hurt his family, he'll hurt them. Mm. Um, so he's paranoid and panicked. They have some unbelievably sweaty sex. While he, yeah, while so this is... we get to see the final confrontation that happened during the actual massacre at yeah. the, that kicked off the mission. Yeah. So you can't you, like you keep thinking that you've seen all you're going to see of the original yeah. massacre, and but then, then they, they show do. you a little bit more. And you know. And this is the other sort of climax, no pun intended, point of the movie where he is now is now mirroring the sort of very sort of warm sex scene from the start of the movie, which is showing you how good their relationship is and how just nice and normal these people are. Yeah. But now this aspect of his private life is completely corrupted as well by all the, the stuff fa- he's yeah. done. And, you know, interesting choice to intercut uh, recreation of a real life event where all these people died with uh, Eric Banner's sex scene. So sweaty. So, like, like upsettingly sweaty. Like, uncomfortable. It looked like it smelled real bad in that. It looks room. like it was raining. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, I guess he's. Uh, and I mean, no one seems particularly upset about it. I think it definitely works. Um, and yeah, I guess it's just sort of depicting the consequences of what he's done. And then he has a conversation with Jeffrey Rush, in which Jeffrey Rush asks him to come back to Israel. Yeah. Just be who he was before. Yeah, um, he wants to put him back in the field. Which he is... says no and invites Jeffrey Rush for dinner, to which Jeffrey Rush says no. Mm. Which I think is a nice way of stating that they don't see eye to eye anymore. Yeah, or it's like you, you're in or you're out. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and then it's that's the end. And that's the end. And it pans to a shot of New York with the World Trade Center, which I thought was an interesting choice. So it would have been an interesting time for this film to film about terrorism to come out back in 2005. After 
such a 9-11 still very fresh we're in the you know a couple of wars have started now um so yeah i think there was a lot of controversy when when this came out um but good film good film another just sort of strong secondary character role for daniel craig i just I'm excited for them not to be secondary character roles. Yeah, he still hasn't broken broken through into that leading man territory. Well, he has, but not in big American films. Yes, and we'll get there. Oh, we'll get there very soon. Yeah, and we're very excited about mm. that. Eh? Yeah, I I like this is like this is my type of movie as, this as one? well. Yeah, like this sort of okay. you know sub genre. I said Argo. The other one I kind of think of is in though like it's different is um, the Kingdom. With the Jamie Fox, is good. which is very much about that cycle of we're gonna we're gonna get them all. I like movie like because it's exhilarating to have characters who seemingly have uh, absolute moral authority to do intense violence. <laughs> like that's from as a, like a superficial audience member, that's exhilarating to watch. So I like when you get that exhilaration with the the one two punch of letting the real life consequences of behaving that way settle in. So you get. You experience that moral clarity, and the th- and the thrill of revenge, mm. and that, but then twisted and muddied up by what that's actually like in in reality. Where are we going to put this in the list, man? Um, this has been quite a subdued conversation. It has been, hasn't it? But, We've got to lighten up, you know. But I think it was okay. Like it suits this film. Yeah. The tone of this episode suits the film. Yeah. We haven't giggled too much. No. Yeah. yeah, but where do well, you want to put it? You know, in the list? with because well, we're dancing around the subject of the Israel-Palestine conflict. I think that's we the problem. Are, we I think are. I said, like watching those short movies the other day was a lot of fun. It was a nice, light-hearted change of pace. There's less going on. <laughs> we seem to be spending a lot of time talking. I didn't know we were going to have to talk about the Israel-Palestine conflict, Sylvia Plath's suicide. There's a lot going on in this filmography that we're really <laughs> underqualified to discuss. But right. that will not stop us. So, as you may or may not know, we are not ranking Daniel Craig's films individually. We're creating an overall ranking of all Daniel Craig's movies from best to worst, available on Letterboxd. So, where should we put Munich? This is better than Sylvia. We know it's near the top. Yeah. Okay, so Sylvia is currently ninth. Yep, this is better than that. Is it better than The Jacket? Yes. Is it better than The Power of One? Yes. Is it better than The Trench? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Dude. Is this better than Some Voices? I think so. Is this better than Layer Cake? Yeah. Yeah. Is this better than Enduring Love? I'd say so. Yeah. It's 16th in a list. I think it is. Is Mm. this better than Road to Perdition? What do you think? I think I have to say it is. Okay. Even though... It is boring at the end. It's so not boring for the first two thirds. Mm. Those first two thirds are better than Road to Perdition. That last third is better than Road to Perdition. You still want to watch them all at once. <laughs> yeah. So, so is this number one? So this is number one? Currently, Munich is the best Daniel Craig film we have ever seen. Mm. And good Daniel Craig performance. Good Daniel Craig performance. Not, not as much as we need. Not his best performance but that's probably just the way it's written yeah so yeah so steven when you get denny again when denny's finished doing his bonding yeah when his bondage is finished well he gets him again in tintin 
It gets a little bit more in Tintin too. Yeah. Yeah. Tintin two. Tintin two. Yeah. Oh, a Steven Spielberg movie with Daniel as the as the lead role. Mm. That would be that would be perfect. An adventure film of some kind. Sci-fi. I want Steven Spielberg to make another Michael Crichton film, mm-hmm. like Micro or something like that, where the group of people get turned into like the size of ants and they're in the jungle in Hawaii and okay. being hunted by actual insects and things like that. Good book. Right. Yeah. Good so, book. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, but more... Visceral and horrific, more yeah. More mature. <laughs> but, yeah. Okay. All right. Maybe that could be an Ant-Man sidequel. Well, it could just be Michael Crichton's Micro, starring Daniel Craig, yeah. directed by Steven Spielberg. He should be in the next Christopher Nolan movie because he looks a bit like Christopher Nolan, and he always. So likes... you want him to play Christopher Nolan in Christopher Nolan's Christopher Nolan? Well, Christopher Nolan is in all of his movies. You've heard that. <laughs> you but you want and Christopher in... Nolan's cameo to be played by Daniel Craig? Yeah, <laughs> credited as Christopher Nolan. Yeah, make, do like an Andy Kaufman thing where Christopher Nolan becomes what... a character in the film at some point. What would be cool is if in Tenet somebody is watching The Dark Knight Rises. And Christopher Nolan's cameo is played by Daniel Craig on the TV. <laughs> Parallel universe. That's Inception. Yeah. Movie within a movie. Within a movie. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> um, as I thanks. said, we're on Twitter, Exceptional Pod, Instagram, Exceptional Thieves. I'm on Twitter, S underscore Brookfield. And on Instagram, Samuel Brookfield. Isaac's on Instagram. Isaac, Isaac Tibbs with two A's, two B's. And as I check out the Patreon to get all our extra episodes and tell a friend to just get the Patreon. Don't listen to any of the other episodes. No, I want no. them to listen. No, oh. yeah. tell, a, tell, a, tell a friend who likes people talking about films about stuff that they are not very familiar with. And also talking about films that they will never be familiar with. The, oh yeah, like, the conversation that they listen to about that film is the most yeah. familiarity they will ever have with if it. If you enjoy discussion of some movies that you cannot see, <laughs> even if you really want to, that you I haven't think, heard of and will never hear of again. So I think we have the only copy of it. <laughs> this is the podcast for you. It's called narrow casting. Is that a broad? You know. Yeah, I, I, I got narrow, it. Like I got niche. It. it was nice. I yeah. liked it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, Thanks to the Vivisectors for our music, and thanks to Ryan Sim for that sweet, sweet Daniel Craig artwork. And we will see you next time. Bye.